Welcome to Stationary Adjacent, to podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford and joined by my gravelly voiced friend, Stu Lennon. Stu, how are you this morning? Uh, Justin, the, the end is nigh. Uh, I'm a man. I've got a cold. That's man flu. Uh, it's, it's really, uh, people are lucky that I have scaled the mountain to get to you today. I mean, it's touch and go whether I'll make it to the end of the show, Justin. Or more seriously, I've got a cold. And I, I suspect I'll probably be all right. But I don't like it. Yeah. You know, one of the few things that's been good about the whole pandemic thing is I haven't had a cold. Touch wood in a couple of years. I'm quite enjoying not being sick. Uh, how's it feel? As, as crappy as I remember it? I got pretty much. I mean, one of the downsides of having a wife in primary education is that, um, well, you know, the little ones, they build their immunity by catching everything and spreading it around everybody. Mm. So uh, she brings home all sorts of troublesome viruses. And usually I, I, I tend to just sort of shrug them off. I'm, uh, I don't know how or why, but I appear when it comes to this type of thing to have the constitution of an ox. Um, this one, however, uh, is taking no prisoners. I started feeling a little bit iffy yesterday morning, um, which is not the way you want to start a golf competition, but there you go. Um, by the end of it, I was, uh, you know, I had a fever, <laughs> a bit sort of hot sweats, like, uh, I'm not very well. Um, I had a bit of a rough afternoon, did quite a lot of sleeping. Um, I sort of managed to sort of bundle my way through today, getting getting the essential done, but not everything that I would like to get done. Uh, and just before we spoke, I, I am fresh from a nap, Justin. I had a nap uh, to try and sort of recharge the batteries, uh, which has now given me this slightly sort of gravelly voice. Um, but no, I, I'm hoping that I will play golf in the morning working on the basis that uh, walking around in a field can't be any worse than sitting around in my office going, uh, there you go. Sounds good to me. Well, hopefully you get better soon. All right, uh, any follow-up this week? Uh, well, I mean, uh, ironically, uh, we spoke last week about, you know, my priority being health, and, you know, so I'm, I've, that's been going well. I've been losing weight. I've been getting fitter. Sort of single focus, none of this multitasking. I've, I've got one priority. Um, an observation would be that, the, the things that are not priorities but kind of need to get done, like, I don't know, work, um, they can struggle a bit if you focus on everything but them. So um, lots to catch up with. Um, I was hoping to do most of that today, uh, but haven't really been feeling 100%. But yeah, there you go. Uh, and in answer to your question, which the, the listener hasn't actually seen, but I can see it in the show note. Stu is reading my mind excuse me uh spice um she is i'd say 90 percent better so she's ignoring all instructions now um and if she wants to jump up on something she is jumping up on it and if she wants to jump down from something she's jumping down mm -hmm. uh occasionally if i pick her up uh in a way that she deems to be wrong there's a, there's a sort of yelp that goes right to my heart um so she's definitely not 100 percent but from what I can gather from the vet, I tried to have a, I tried to have a call with uh, them today. Um, it's either a case of continuing the painkillers or not, and we've not really decided on on what's the best yet. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully better. 
That's good. Uh, hopefully you, the vet will continue to keep supplying her. I could just imagine Spice on the corner, you know, trying to trying to backdoor deal some of those pain meds. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, she's uh, she's pretty good at taking them, I, I have to say. And it's it's quite weird because it's um, one is a non-steroid painkiller and the other is, well, it's paracetamol. Um, the vet didn't give me any. Just said, well, I'll just go to a pharmacy and get some normal paracetamol. Uh, and um, I give her a half half a tablet. So I'm, I have a little sort of tablet cutting room, which does look very dodgy when you're cutting white tablets and putting them in little bags. Boy, Stu. Um, I've got the RV now. We can, um, you know, break some bad, if you like. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Yes, indeed, we could, couldn't we? And, well, you've got the haircut too, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Boy, you sound like, you sound like my daughter. She's uh, she's always been suggesting that we uh, do like a um, um, a cosplay type of thing where I dress up as uh, Walter White and she does Jesse, just for fun. She's she she's fun. Anyway, yeah, I like her thinking. I was thinking of uh, Spice the other day. Uh, Coco in the middle of the night was channeling her in a Spice. Uh, Coco has a series of toys that she's had since she was a baby uh, called Burger. And of course, as one would think, it's a hamburger. And I think we're, we've got, well, I've got one of them downstairs on the floor here. We've got at least one of them upstairs. And I think there might still be an extra burger hidden away that we haven't given her yet because it's like her favorite toy. We're on like five and six of Burger. You know what I mean? Sure. I don't know if you do that for your dogs. Uh, middle of the night, though, three o'clock in the morning. Uh, she's sitting there. She's got the burger and she's got it tipped up so that the the meat and the cheese are kind of vertical. And she's licking away. Lick, lick, lick. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep listening to her lick her burger. And I was just <laughs> thinking, oh, she's been listening to the podcast. At least somebody's listening to the podcast. She's been listening and said, you know what? Spice has a little OCD. Hold my hold my burger. I could do this. <laughs> so, yes, I was woken up thinking thinking about your dog the other day. I don't know, Stu. Well, I I have to say, um, I'm um probably a week behind you on on a podcast to which we both listen, ATP, um, where Marco was talking about his diabetic dog. Mm. I don't know if you remember that little section. And and Marco, who more often than not, this is Marco Ahmed of uh, ATP, more often than not, Marco will wind me up with some of the things that he says. Um, however, he then said how much his heart broke every time he had to to give his dog a shot. And and suddenly he can do no wrong in my mind. That's, uh, that's the end of any sort of uh, negative feelings I've got about Marco. He is the man, all right? He's the one. To hell with this lesson, Syracuse fellows. Marco's the man. He's the one that cares about his dog. Yes, although I think in fairness, they probably all do too. <laughs> yes, uh, John is the one that has the dog-shaped dog, though. So Ah, yes, indeed. That is not my dog. <laughs> all right, I, I, I got a question for you, though, Stu, after last week. So last week after Stu and I were chatting, Stu was putting links into the show notes. And I happened to click on them to get the URL so that I could do it in the format that I needed for the show notes. And he sent a whole bunch of links for audiobooks. Stu. Audiobooks. 
are they actually reading? Is that what you're doing? We have to talk about this. Why, why did I get audiobook show notes? In fairness, I think most of them were not audio book links. Um, and, uh, the one that was was purely purely by accident. Um, okay. I do listen to audiobooks. I have a um, uh, whatever the account is where you get a certain amount of of credits that don't expire. Audible, yeah. Um, and so I've always wanted to be into audiobooks, and that comes largely from TJ. Uh, eighteen fifty seven. Is this at eighteen fifty seven? Is the Tubman debate? Um, a long-time listener, Dave Tubman, uh, a, a great man of pencils, I would have to say, um, is very much in the you know, audiobooks don't count camp, uh, which is where I am, incidentally. Mm. <laughs> However, TJ and, and many others consider audiobooks uh, reading. Um, I don't because I can't concentrate. I just... If an audiobook is on, I have a tendency to drift off and start thinking about something else, which is not something that I do when I'm reading. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. That's why I was kind of questioning this because, you know, we're, we talk a lot about focus and presence and particularly last week, that was kind of the topic. And uh, the audiobooks were an odd thing to have related to those because audiobooks are one step up from a podcast, but they get about the same interests of podcasts does for me there's something on in the background that you're half paying attention to you know you're 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 listening to it but you're not you're not present you're not focused you're doing other things i'm washing the dishes i'm you know uh, walking the dog well i don't do that i i try to be more present uh, but you know what i mean there's, there's sure. other tasks that i'm doing with headphones in rather than listening to a book so all right um we probably just alienated half of our people uh, <laughs> but that's okay no I, I mean i don't think anybody's yucking anybody else's yum i mean if if listening to a book works for you then fantastic enjoy it um it just doesn't really work for me not a book that i'm um properly paying attention to let's put it that way yeah i think you could probably get away with that with some popcorn fiction sure but um yeah i i don't know well, let me, let me know when you need editing for Sean, when that finally gets released. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm certain that's going to be quite a job. <laughs> There's quite a lot to that. First of all, the, the writing editing is, uh, is, is in itself. Um, there is a, a debate going on between um, my, my possible editor um, and, and myself about um, voice. So whether mm -hmm. um, it's acceptable to use sort of omnipresent or whether you need um, sort of third person or first, but uh, there's a whole discussion going on. But anyway, uh, we'll save that for another day. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not second. I can't even do that one. All right, Stu, what have you got for a new tool this week? Okay. New tool. Uh, my tool of the week is, uh, well, I've got a new mouse um, from Logitech, a lift vertical ergonomic mouse, uh, a left-handed one. Um, I wasn't particularly desperate to get the lift, but I did want a left-handed mouse because I'm left-handed. Uh, and my, um, I, I suffer from a little bit of, uh, this is bizarre and a little bit odd, but I suffer from a little bit of tennis elbow caused by golf. 
Uh, presumably, if I played golf, I would start suffering. Uh, sorry, if I played tennis, I'd start suffering from golf elbow. I have no idea. But um, the difference, if you're interested, is um, tennis elbow is on the outside of your arm and golf elbow is on the inside of your arm. They're different tendons. But it's the same sort of thing. It's it's gripping becomes painful and difficult. It's, it's, it's very sore. Um, and it's because I've been playing too much golf. Um, but also, I think uh, the the classic mouse, and I, up until recently, have been using the um, the Mac. Uh, what do they call it? The Magic Mouse um, <laughs> is not really a very natural way to hold your hand on a table. Uh, you're sort of twisting your wrist, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, I bought this new little lift mouse. Um, it's one of those things. You remember when Apple used to do this? They they made stuff that worked. Um, I, I took it out of the box. Uh, there's a little sort of USB um, sort of receiver thing. <laughs> I stuck that in the back of my computer. Oh, I'm just getting deja vu of Windows there. Little you, little yeah, dongles yeah. that you have to plug in. I, I, it should just work. Well, you don't have to. You, yeah, well, you can use Bluetooth. It's fine. Um, but if you use this, you tend to get, uh, I think, less interference and problems and issues. Um, and... I've, I've got a Mac Studio, so um, I've got the one Apple product that actually allows you to plug things into it. Um, so I slipped that in the back, took the battery cover off and pulled the, the little tag, and whoosh, that was it. My mouse connected and works. Um, and it's it's got all sorts of buttons, some of which I haven't even discovered what they do yet. Uh, but it's got a little scroll wheel, um, and my hand sits much more comfortable on the desk. So enjoying that enormously. And also a big shout out to my elbow brace, which is, I think, helping with the, the tennis elbow as well. All right. I'm looking at this Logitech thing and oof, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking it needs a ThinkPad to go with it. <laughs> but how are you, this, this just has like clicky buttons on it, right? Uh, yeah, it's, um, if you imagine putting your hand out, I mean, they have a right-handed version as well. So if you imagine putting your hand on your desk, uh, on its side, so your thumb is pointing straight up, then, um, your, uh, index finger naturally sits on what would be the left button. Your next finger sits naturally on what is the, the right button. And there's a scroll wheel between the two. And then where your thumb sits, there is, uh, well, there are two buttons that look like a sort of volume control. But I say, I haven't worked out what they're for yet. I'll press one now and see what happens. I think they're, at the moment, not programmed. No gestures, though. That's, that's the point that I'm looking at this and getting horrified with, because I don't know how I could work with it. No, no gestures that I'm aware of. Uh, but if I want to scroll around the place, then I, I move the mouse across the table as I would a normal mouse. Mm -hmm. I've got so many shortcuts uh, to different touch gestures that would be well, very, very difficult for me to unlearn that and move back. Um, I'm, yep. I've got the Magic Mouse on one side. I've got the Magic Trackpad on the other. So I, I and each one has a bunch of shortcuts programmed into it for, uh, you know, weird things like window sizing and, you know, just... Uh, yeah, going back and forth, I that would feel extremely odd to me and almost like going back to a PC world where you have to push a button. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm glad it's helping your elbows too. I, I guess that's... Uh, are you going to keep on it once your elbow feels better or are you going to go back to your magic mouse? 
uh, I don't know. I imagine I'll stay with it. I mean, it feels feels lots of fun at the moment, but that may change. Um, like I say, it, uh, it also, I have to say, colour-wise matches my clicky keyboard. So everything looks much more, you know, as it should. <laughs> All right. I won't go there. I will tell you that I have a set of black Magic Mouse, Magic Keyboard, Magic Trackpad, and a white set, depending which computer I'm using. I just switch them out because I'm that kind of nerd. And that'll come back into our conversation. Hang on. I've got both too. But what I don't have is a black keyboard with a fingerprint sensor. I don't have a black uh, a computer to go with that that has the fingerprint sensor because that's still an entire machine. So yeah, yeah. there we go. All right. Uh, have you used Canva at all? Um, I think it may have been in my sort of test regime when I was looking uh, sort of around the uh, the suite of uh, photo. It's a it's a photo editing app, isn't it? Uh, f- yeah, it's sort of a photo editing app. Might be um, a long way to. It's yeah, it kind of is, but it's also more of a digital asset creation app okay uh so you could do everything from videos to photos to designs uh it's very very click and easy friend you drag your assets in there for example i was doing something the other day that i put some text on something i put a a background i i wanted something in a circle i wanted something else in a sort of uh, oblique and you just pick a circle and you drag your asset into it and boom, there you go. You now have that in a circle rather than having to go mask and layers and all that stuff through Photoshop. Uh-huh. Uh, what what I could have done in Photoshop in half an hour took me about oh, three or four minutes and I can create it into a video. I can resize it on the fly. Uh, I've been using it for our uh, graphics for stationary adjacent uh, that comes out with uh, an orange graphic that you see on your podcast player. Uh, I've created those all in Canva a couple of years ago. Uh, but I've been doing some of this YouTube stuff and realized that there are so many really cool things that this can do uh, with moving assets and short videos and loops. And uh, I was just blown away. So I actually signed up for a full year of the pro version of it rather than the free version that's out there. Uh, But if you are looking for anything, let's say you're doing a presentation, you're looking for anything easy to do, it really has some great, very fast digital assets that you can use. And a lot of them are for free as well. Very cool my recommendation for the week. Save me a bunch of time on Photoshop. What you got for a pen? I, I'm curious what this Wes is that you've got in the show notes. <laughs> okay, yeah. So um, uh, pen-wise, I'm still using the same pens as I was last week because I haven't really done much writing. So as we speak, I've got my uh, Pocket 6 in my hand uh, and at my side is the uh, the Pilot Custom and the, the Pelican 805. Um, but yeah, I've been sorely tempted by a new pen and I've put, um, pictures and text into our show note, not the, the listener's show note, uh, for, for Justin's, uh, perusal, uh, W E S is the writing equipment society. 
So uh, it's uh, pen makers, pen sellers, stationers. Uh, it's a UK thing. And uh, up until recently, it ran all of the pen shows in the UK. Hmm. Now, I think it's fair to say it's, it's a fairly old-fashioned sort of organisation, but it's modernising and it's doing well. And uh, I got this... Uh, I'm, I'm a member, Nero's Notes is a member, and this email came through um, offering us the chance to purchase uh, one of two limited edition pens to celebrate the coronation of King Charles III, which is imminent. Um, and there are just 74 of each edition, 74 being the age of Charles when he succeeds to the crone. The crone? The throne. <laughs> um, and there are, I've given Justin some pictures. There's a sort of sterling silver version, um, which will be sort of quite heavy, and a lighter pure resin with silver inlay, which is, uh, I mean, they're both lovely pens. They're made by a company called Anoto, who are an ancient British band brand who were recently revived and revitalized i think um don't quote me on this but i think the ownership is now actually chinese um but the pens are made in the uk um they are reputed to have been one of churchill's favorites um you know old old brand and they make these sort of well i suppose depending on your taste you might see them as slightly sort of overblown um decorative type pens uh, and the one that the thing that particularly appeals to me about this one is that there's a a cap a coronation emblem uh which is on the cap of the uh, of the pen it's on the cap button so the little thing at the top of the of the of the uh what would you call that the cap i suppose yes the cap um the finial yes there we go the finial um is designed by a little fellow called johnny ive who you may have heard talk of um, he did reasonably well at a computer firm. Um, and, well, yeah, it's just very, very swish. Uh, what were your first impressions when you looked at these pictures? I was uh, surprised. I, they, they certainly have a uh, old school cross between a sort of Mont Blanc and a Pelican, very traditional. Yeah. And then they've got all the pizzazz of the cap. And I just actually scrolled down to look at that finial. And I think that is the most designy um, element thing that I've ever seen Joni Ive um, make. Because there's, it's just not a flat piece of metal that has no corners. It has design in it. I'm surprised by that. Well, I think, Justin, you need to put it in context. There are no ports on the pen. Uh, that's true. He, he succeeded. Uh, no, it is. Uh, it, it's it's very stiff upper lip, isn't it? Yeah. Made in England is certainly very very prevalent on this. But having said that, it's lovely. I I don't even want to know the price point of it though. <laughs> well, um, if there are any left, I think uh, after Wes have have bought theirs, if there are any any left, because as I say, there are only seventy four numbered of each. The um, the silver, sterling silver one is going to be eight hundred and ninety-five pounds. So, call that uh, just about eleven $1, hundred, twelve hundred dollars. And the um, 
the resin is £475. Now, that's for a steel nib. So if you want gold nibs, you have to add 180 to that. It's one of those things I looked at and went, oh, limited edition. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh this will be great. This will appreciate in value. And then I thought, well, it won't appreciate in value. And even if it did, I wouldn't sell it. It would just sit in my pen drawer. Um, and depending on the quality of the nib and whether I got a proper grind, it may become one of my favorite pens. It may not. Uh, no, I really don't need to buy one of these on a pre-order uh, without sort of holding one in hand. And um, They are showing it off, I think, at the, at the next pen show, which is, uh, I'm going to say the fifth. So we'll be, oh, just, just uh, have happened before this show goes out, I would say. I'm really impressed with your self-control, Stu, because I'm, <laughs> I, it's actually not uh, completely unaffordable for the quality of pen that it is. So sure, I I might have pulled the pin on it actually. Hmm. Very nice, very nice. Am I allowed to put these into the show notes for our audience to see? I, th I think we can sneak them out because they've been shown off at the pen show a couple of days before. So okay, good. I just don't want to get anybody in trouble for leaking things that aren't supposed to be leaked, but uh, let me see if I can figure out how to get these in our show notes. So I do encourage you to go take a look at our show notes. Uh, it will be, I can't even remember what our tag URL is. I've got it up at the top here. Hold on a sec. Stationaryjacent.com slash episodes slash 096 for this one. Wow. We're coming up to a hundred episodes, Stu. We are. We're going to have to uh, pop the non-alcoholic champagne or something. You know what? It's uh, seven o'clock in the morning. We could pop the real champagne. I don't mind. <laughs> I, I may actually have a several bottles uh, chilling in my wine fridge ready to go at any one time. I wouldn't wouldn't be too much of a twisting my arm thing. Well, uh, though my fr my Thursday might be a little less than productive. <laughs> yeah, it may slow you down, or it could speed you up. I guess. Ah, yes, and I'm sure it'll help with my job. <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about a listener topic uh, this week. Uh, Judith, thanks very much for sending us this topic. I'm going to kind of paraphrase her email to us or parts of it. Um, first off, if you ever want to get an email read and on the show like this, uh, she said really nice things about the show. So thank you for that, Judith. Um, but she, as you brought up, uh, that we'd mentioned the matrix used to determine where to spend time. Uh, that's the one where you ask, is it important? Is it urgent? Um, and you can figure out where you're putting your time and energy. And she brought up this idea that I hadn't heard of, of a similar matrix for when we spend money, our other limited resource. Uh, the questions are, do I need it? Do I love it? If you don't need it and don't love it, don't buy it. Whew. Um, Boy, Judith doesn't live in my household. Um, if you <laughs> if you need it and don't love it, get the cheapest that will do the job. And she's looking at uh, dish soaps, garbage bags. If you need it and you love it, spend a little more on it. Oh, now, now we're talking my language here. The things you don't need but do love, that's where you devote your money for Judith. It's travel, opera tickets, pens. And she said sometimes that she thinks it justifies frivolous, wasteful spending. Uh, but when she thinks of her purchases, she begins to understand that it's just like spending time where it'll accomplish the most. Spending money where it will bring the most pleasure is a sensible strategy. 
And I thought it was actually brilliant, and uh, I thought we should really talk about this. Uh, Stu summarized this as an Eisenhower matrix for money, which is the grid that we're talking about, right, Stu? Is that what an Eisenhower matrix is? Uh, Eisenhower matrix, uh, Eisenhower box, uh, some people call it. It's uh, much beloved of, uh, of MBA courses, little two-by-two two, um, box where you have uh, – on one axis, you have urgent, and the other axis, you have important. And uh, the famous quote that is nearly always used with it is that what is important is seldom urgent, and what is urgent is seldom important. Uh, and that was Dwight D. Eisenhower, who uh, went on to be the 34th president of the United States, doing things like sort of, um, he he uh, he founded NASA. But um, before that, um, he, he was the super supreme commander of the allied powers in europe um uh fundamental in in sort of um nato he was the first commander of nato uh president of columbia university uh when he wasn't doing all that he was you know playing golf uh, obviously a man after my own heart uh and you know, an oil painter which I, I cannot claim make any claim to but he was clearly a busy guy mm. and the way that the way he he sort of he looked at any task that needed doing and said, right, how important is it and how urgent is it? And if it uh, was urgent and important, he would say, do it now. If it was not urgent but important, schedule a time to do it. If it was not important but, in, but urgent, get someone else to do it for you. And if it was not urgent, not important, just don't do it. Uh, and that was how he ran his task list and his life, he said. Um, and it has become now much beloved. Um, every training course that you will ever go through in the corporate world, this will come up in some way, usually um, misused, uh, <laughs> names changed. But this little four by, uh, sorry, two by two grid is, it's the answer to all corporate problems, really. Um, and actually, when it comes to looking at how you prioritize your effort on tasks, it's a pretty good one, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's one of two things that uh, you learn in an MBA. One of those is every, every problem in the world can be fit down into a two-by-two two grid. And the other one is the answer to any question is it depends. Yep, I, I, I'd say that's pretty accurate, although obviously it depends. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about applying this in terms of spending. And I was thinking about this, and I'm certainly not an expert on control spending. I mean, I'm the guy that went out over Christmas to buy a tent, and I purchased a small portable house for a lot of money. Uh, Stu, you're much smarter with the spending stuff than I am. Do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I, I, I put a link in the show note, which just, just tickled me. There's um, uh, the monthly budget allocation with the Eisenhower matrix. Here's how. Um, this is from the Bank Yago, um, who are Indonesian, I think. Um, and I didn't really look very, very deep into it. But uh, it's, it seems to be sort of along the same sort of lines. We're getting all the urgent, not, not important. But it's coming out with a lot of sensible things about, you know, saving and um, building up emergency funds and all that sort of stuff. Um. Controlled spending. Well, right now, the, there's an experiment going on in the Lennon household where um, since sort of 2015, when, when uh, I sold out of my business, 
we have essentially just been spending money. Um, I mean, you know, we're not been burning £20 notes or anything, but um, if we wanted something, we bought it. And in fact, for several years before that, um, I was earning a very big salary and we were doing the same thing. So if we needed something, we bought it. We wanted something, we bought it. Um, uh, when I sold the business, my uh, Margaret had always wanted a big SUV. So we bought her an all-singing, all-dancing SUV um, and bought me a all-singing, all-dancing uh, sports car with, from the same brand. So a couple of BMWs, very nice. Um, did we need them? No. Did we want them? Yes. So we bought them. And we've been doing that, I guess, for probably the best part of maybe 10, 15 years. Uh, and now we've got to the point where we've said, okay, look, um, there's a fighting chance that we may survive beyond the age of 60. And therefore, we should probably have some thought to whether there's any any money in the bank. And we we sort of sat down and worked out what we were doing and how we were doing it and where we were living and what we needed and uh, and sort of put capital away. So rather than spending capital, the capital is now, in theory, earning returns. As the market collapsed, I invested in it. Well done me. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, you, you would have been better to put it into um, the special fountain pens, Stu. Yeah, or probably, residual yeah. value. Exactly. Um, so our money is uh, is... We own property. We're very fortunate to own property. Um, we uh, we get some income off one of those properties we rented out, and uh, I have some income from. Um, I've got a few sort of residual clients in my in my consultancy business, and uh, Mrs. L works at the school, so you know we, we have we have enough to live off. Um, although every month I appear to be broke, um, which is. Again, a very privileged and relative thing to say because I'm not, I'm not broke, but um, I've, I'm learning to live with the reality of bank, of money not being a sort of um, never-ending, constantly replenishing source. Um, and we did that because, as I say, you know, it, you get to an our age and, and it occurs to you that, you know, you will have to be feeding yourself when you're 90, if you're still around. Um, and you probably don't want to be working full-time when you're 90. Uh, so that has to be funded somewhere. And there's lots of ways of doing that, but um, that, that was sort of driving us. So we were looking very much at our spending. And as I say, <laughs> we, both, we both went, yep, this is a really good idea. And then instantly, so we went, oh, does that mean I can't actually spend stuff? Oh, that's not very good. Um, and so it's been a big focus and I like how Judith is thinking about it because whilst looking after money is important, I think she's right in that that money money is there to spend. I mean, that's what it's for. It doesn't really serve any other purpose. So, you know, the, the other half of my concern around money is, is how to make sure I spend it all because I, t- I don't want to leave it to anyone. I mean, worst of all, the tax man or something. Um, because I don't have kids, so I don't have that sort of legacy issue of, okay, anything I have left will go on to the next generation who will, you know, either do something positive with it or just really enjoy it. But, um, I'm sort of looking at, okay, how many, oh, so we're actually going through a process at the moment where we say, um, perhaps we should sell a house, um, because we're getting, you know, gradually older, well, 
getting older at the same pace as everyone else, but you know what I mean? We're getting older and we know we don't need um, to have several houses. We live in one, we rent another. Uh, my mother lives in another. Um, and we we have no desire to sort of die owning these properties. So um, I'm looking at the possibility of selling here in Cyprus. Evicting your mom. <laughs> and evicting my mom, no. Um, selling here in Cyprus, not because I want to leave Cyprus particularly, but because uh, we'd like to live somewhere a bit smaller. This has got a very big, you know, plot of land and, you know, all the stuff that goes with that. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking that we'll rent somewhere. Uh, and that gives us a whole load of flexibility. Uh, it will, obviously, it will give us capital, some of which will be spent on on rent. But um, it gives us a lot more flexibility about um, whether we stay here, perhaps try living in Italy for a while. Um, all the things that, I guess, there there is a ceiling. I don't know what, what that age ceiling is, but we probably won't want to be moving home when we're 86. So... Um, that's where this landed in the, that's sort of the context for where this landed in my, in my world at the moment was, oh yes, how, how should I spend money? How should I prioritize? And, um, I, I guess I noticed more because I'm sort of living this monkish existence now where I've made a series of decisions. I, I don't smoke anymore. I don't drink anymore. Um, because I'm being very, very healthy, that I'm not spending lots of money at restaurant meals. Um, I'm being, as far as I'm concerned, a complete monk. I mean, as far as I'm aware, apart from unending arrogance, I have absolutely no vices to to spend money on. I, I mean, I haven't even bought bought a pen for a while or, or an Apple piece of kit for a while. I mean, good Lord. Um, but I've just been, I've played golf with a guy the other day. And... Uh, we went into the clubhouse, as is, you know, the, the sort of etiquette. And, you know, would you like a drink? Yes, I'll have a pint of water. So this guy gets a glass of water and they put ice and fruit in it for him. Um, and he never pays for a drink. I thought, what a clever man. Because believe me, when you play golf in a, in a hot climate, you either want your own body weight in beer or anything cold and refreshing. And there is nothing more refreshing than water. I mean, that's science. Um. But I was just thinking, well, how much I probably spend, you know, 10, 15 euros every time I'm in a clubhouse and I'm in a lot of clubhouses. And it's because I'm, uh, you know, buying things at a huge markup. I mean, it must be the same. You must notice this in rural Canada that, you know, you can get, you can go out for a lovely vegetarian meal, but it costs four times what it would cost you to make it at home. Yeah, we don't go out very often, surprisingly enough, um, largely because, well, there are what three or four restaurants in town that we could go to, and uh, well, really, really, there's only two sit-down restaurants. The rest of them are kind of takeout places that have a little spot that you could eat if you wanted to. Sure. So uh, you know, we we do drive out once in a while for dinner, but it becomes a, a much bigger deal when you're you're driving an hour or so, you know, an hour and a half each way to, to get, uh, to get a nice meal. So for the most part, we're, we're lucky on this one. I stay home, but yes, I, I know exactly what you mean. Even the takeout food, we've cut down to that because I, I would probably say it's gone up 25, 30% in the last year or so. Um, it has got a lot more expensive, particularly when you consider, you know, um, eating at home, it's, it's, it's a lot more expensive. Yeah. 
And, you know, this is sort of all the process that we're going through. We used to eat out a lot. Then, uh, like everyone else, COVID came. Um, and we got used to eating out a little bit less. Uh, and now the prices are um, astonishing. I mean, it used to be, it was genuinely true that it was cheaper to eat out here than it was to to eat at home. Because um, the restaurants were such good value and they would charge you for a main course, whatever you ordered, but they would give you a starter, um, which would always just be a mixed salad. Um, incredibly, you know, probably pulled out of the ground 200 meters away from where you were, you were eating. Um, you'd, you'd have your main course and then they would bring you fresh fruit. Um, they would always bring you a liqueur at the end of the meal. I mean, it was, um, it was just, that was how it worked here. Uh, whereas now, you know, these guys are, are trying to put food on their own tables. And so they've had to put prices up. They've had to be more commercial in how they, they charge. So yeah, if you'd like a starter, you can have one, but you're going to pay for it. You can have a dessert, but you're going to pay for it. Um, and, you know, we just look at it and go, wow. Uh, there's, you know, our closest restaurant it's lovely. The food is is excellent. Um, wouldn't wouldn't really appeal to you. It's uh, it's a steakhouse, but you know most of their steak comes from nearer you than me. You know it's uh, it's Canadian beef because he wants to have high quality meat and etc etc etc. But for us to go and eat there uh, as a couple, you know, on a, one of those you know dinners that you you talk about where you go out, we would be paying over a hundred euros. So oof. Uh, what's that, 120, 130 US. Um, and that, that's a lot of cash. Um, what was the other one? Oh, yeah, uh, the blue shop. Um, it was a sort of running joke that, that we would have a pink shop and a blue shop, uh, and that's sort of gendered shopping. Um, and where it came from was that Margaret uh, likes to go shopping. She likes to do all the grocery shopping, but because of her back, she can't carry anything heavy. So anything that had any weight to it, I would have to go out and, and buy. And that, I used to go out and buy um, multi-packs of Coke Zero and sparkling water. Mm-hmm. And so the big fridge, um, Justin's best friend that sits behind me here, uh, would always be full of sparkling water and Coke Zero. And Margaret said to me, um, in, a, in a, a most un-Margaret way, this is usually my sort of line, she said, why don't we just stop drinking it? But I think she actually said, that Coke Zero is no good for you, fat boy. I went, "Mm, yeah, you're probably right. That's got zero in the name. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I thought, well, yeah, but it's my treat. And I was sort of, um, you know, in the morning, I've drunk lots of water. I'll have a a Coke Zero as a treat. Why I thought it was a treat, I don't know. But anyway, um, so I just stopped, just stopped going. So I don't buy Coke Zero and I don't buy sparkling water. So if you want water here, um, you can have uh, cold filtered water uh, or you can have uh, non-cold filtered water. That's it. Those, those are your choices. And A, that's much better for my health. But I was spending about 50 euros a week on that that blue shop. Oof. So that's like 200 euros a month that I'm now not spending for something that I don't miss. Um, it's amazing. I, uh, I, I don't know whether it's just age wisdom and i'm looking at these things going hang on is that really a good way to spend my money hmm, i'm not sure this is all a new experience for me very cool do you use the 
Eisenhower matrix to figure out what you need to buy, but you don't like and getting the cheapest uh, versus, you know, uh, allocating your money that way? Or is there a trick in the Lennon household for that? Um, I, I'm like you. I, can, I have several mechanisms that I can use to justify any expenditure that I really want. So um, Margaret is by nature quite frugal. Um, and uh, she, she doesn't do anything in excess, whereas I tend to do everything to excess. Oh my God, you sound like me and my wife. Well, yeah. I mean, if I play golf, then I want to play five or six days a week and I want to play at the best club and I want to have the best kit. Um, if, I, um, if I drink, I drink the finest wines um, and, you know, just have beer as warm up um, or great scotches or great brandies. Um, when I smoked, I used to smoke uh, maybe three packs a day. Um, it's, I don't know, there's probably a word for it, but everything I do, um, I do it with full commitment. So when Margaret says to me, oh, I saw so-and-so thing and so-and-so thing, and I'm, I'm thinking, she, she never buys anything on impulse. So she'll come back to me and say, oh, I saw this and I saw that, but I'm not sure. Um, and I'll say to her, I'll say, well, look, is this something that, that you love? And uh, she'll always go, yes because she knows how the game works. But um, I'll say to her now, is it really? And um, I can generally tell when she's fibbing. And I can sort of make, make her realise herself that she's fibbing. So she'd always wanted um, a Chanel handbag. Mm. And she said to me, oh, yeah, well, I've always wanted one. I said, well, let's get one then. And she said, well, no, they're really, really expensive. And I said, sure, but is this something you'll love? Yes. Is it something you will keep forever? Yes. Is it something that you will use forever? Yes. I said, well, then, you know, look at that cost over 30 years or 40 years, 50 years. It's nothing. When it's, oh, I want some new, insert name of trendy trainers here, um, then I'll go through the same process. Is this something you'll keep forever? No. Is it something you will wear forever? No. So, okay, are there things you would rather do with that $250? Mm, yeah. Okay, well, then maybe we don't buy those. So I guess I'm, I'm kind of using an extension of the Eisenhower um, or whatever, whatever we're going to call this, this money version, the Judith matrix. Um, but I'd, I'd never really thought of it in that sort of disciplined way. <laughs> I, really, I really like the idea of looking at things because it is a good way, I think, of, of trying to school yourself. I mean, have you tried it on your Spending habits? Oh, heck. I am the wrong person for this. And that's that's why I want to talk to you about it, because I don't know if it'll work. Um, I, I like expensive things. I like, you know, I was thinking about this in, in prep for the show notes. Uh, toilet paper. I am extremely picky about what toilet paper I use. Um, because, well, my tushy is worth every penny. Um, garbage bags. I've... I buy the expensive ones because, well, I've had garbage bags that leak and I found that out the hard way. So now because of that bad experience, I buy the premium garbage bags. And, you know, there's a lot of things in my life that I do like this. My wife made me go shopping with her the other day. She 
generally likes to do the household sort of weekly grocery shop on her own. Yeah, quite often we'll take uh, our daughter with her. Um, but this time she wanted me to come. Um, and apparently because I have a habit of walking past stuff in, in the store and saying, oh, that looks nice. I'll, I'll take one of those, take one of those. I kind of doubled the weekly spend on groceries uh, and was told, you're not coming with me ever again. Um, so <laughs> I, I am probably not very good at this. Um, I probably should get better at it, which is why I think this is such a neat concept. I'm just not sure how my application would be because, well, let's face it, I'm, uh, I, I, I earn, I tend to spend it because that's what I do. Um, you know, I, it's, it's kind of a, a mindset that I've had work hard, spend hard. Sure. And, uh, that's something that I probably have to think a lot about a little bit. You know, certainly there are a number of things such as eating out that we have reduced this year. Uh, last year, this year, um, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. I think living up here has already done a lot of that for me because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of miles away from everywhere. There's not a lot of stuff to do. Um, you know, half of the things that I kind of look at and say, I don't want to, um, spend anymore. I'm looking at you, Netflix and Disney Channel. Um, I get arguments from the family very quickly when I say, I want to cancel those. Oh, no, but there's something I want to watch on it. And so it's I'm, I'm kind of into a weird spot where, you know, getting everybody on board on the same the same page is, is very difficult for a lot of that stuff. Um, the stuff that doesn't make my matrix, is it important to me? No, let's get rid of it. Um, is probably important to somebody else in the house. So uh, that's something that I've got to sort of reconcile. I think I'm going to sort of look at things a little bit this way, but uh, yeah, it is, it's, it's a tough one for me. I'm, I'm not good at um, budgeting and worrying about what happens tomorrow. You know, just enjoy life. That's kind of my philosophy. And well, you know, the only thing that's certain is I don't get out of it alive. <laughs> so uh uh, you know, I, I think probably some of the difference from, you know, I can't uh, pack up my stuff and live in the camper full time, largely because, well, uh, I have a family and uh, I have a daughter and we're, you know, looking at our house as a, an asset that we can pass down. Sure. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I don't know, Stu. I got to think about this one. I, I'll have to report back on this one. It's, it's a tough one. I would say that I I echo and uh, endorse most of what you said. Um, I've I've always believed that um, if you need more money, go and make it. Um, I've I've never really been a huge one for putting money away or um, you know for the rainy day. Um, I think probably the most I've I've spoken about this before, but the most instructive thing for me was watching uh, my parents who. Um, I'll try and keep this relatively short. My parents served in Cyprus in the 1960s in the Royal Air Force. And uh, they were, they rented a property. They were in a private rental from a Cypriot family. Um, they loved Cyprus. They loved this family. 
and they vowed at that point to retire here um, in essentially the 1990s. So pretty much 25 years ahead of time, they went, that's where we're going to retire. And in the 1980s, through this family, who you know they maintained a friendship with, they purchased some land. And then in the early 90s, they got all the necessary permissions and they built a property and did all of that stuff. And my dad had sort of organized the end of his career. He was in the Royal Air Force. Um, and his final posting was in Cyprus, which meant that they could live in sort of Air Force accommodation for three years while the house was being finished so that he could then come out of the Air Force um, and enjoy this wonderful retirement that they'd been dreaming of and planning for, well, best part of 30 years. And four years later, he was dead. Mm. And that is the great danger of the Western capitalist system, where we are sort of um, conditioned to think, yep, save, 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 save. Work, 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 save, 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 work, save, work, save, work, save, work, save, retire. Enjoy. There's a couple of fundamental flaws with that in that, well, your health might not be as great as you would like it to be at the time that you retire. When you do retire is when actually you've got probably less interest in doing some of the things that you might have wanted to do in your 30s. So not many retirees go, good Lord, do you know what? I am going to take up cage fighting. They tend to do that if that's their dream. That's something you should probably do in your 20s. I don't know. Discount day at the supermarket on a Tuesday for seniors. <laughs> cage fighting, I think they've got it down. Well, imagine if they'd had the chance to do it in their prime. Um, but yeah, I mean, what it taught me was that, the, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men. We none of us know what's coming or when it's coming. We just know that it is coming. So I think you should look to enjoy life as best you can. What I've been doing and learning of late is, and this is going to come as a huge shock to people, Apple, BMW, retailers, they exist to take the money out of my bank account and put it in theirs. They work really, really hard at it. They're good at it so i i i look back at the cars and i don't want to pick on the cars particularly but margaret's x3 cost what to me at the time was an astonishing amount it was about fifty thousand pounds and my z4 was i think 35 38 i think thirty-eight thousand pounds um both lovely lovely machines and you know we were talking i said to margaret i said well you know this car you, you basically you keep that until the wheels drop off um and you know it's it's what you've always wanted it's beautiful it's ideal it's brilliant it's great um it'll be fine and she loves that car um even though it's given her no end of trouble or given me no end of trouble um with my z4 i loved it i really did i mean getting out of it after a round of golf was quite amusing because I mean, pretty much once my legs started stiffening from walking around a golf course, the only real option was to sort of roll out sideways um, <laughs> and then find some, some way of getting to my feet. Um, when I was, uh, you know, feeling a little bit fitter than I could get out of it without looking like a, a sort of upturned turtle. Um, but it was great. It was a lovely thing. It had little flappy, uh, flappy paddle gear sticks. Um, 
it went like um, the proverbial off a shovel. I mean, it was a rocket, um, particularly from a standing start. You can have a lot of fun at stoplights. Not that I recommend that. Um, and it had the, the thing that still to this day amazes me is it's a tiny car. Yeah? It's a two-seater. It's a roadster. Um, but it had, uh, as an option, which I got, um, you had a little panel cut in the trunk that went through to the front of the car. And actually it went across your sort of center console, right all the way up to the gear stick pretty much. Um, and it was so that you could put your skis in your sports car, Oh, which in my case, in my case, I didn't ski, but it was great for my driver, my my, my golf driver, which is the longest club. Uh, I could put that in there and put the little clubs in the in in the trunk or the boot, as we called it. And I mean, she was beautiful. Anastasia, I called her. I had a love affair with her. She was graphite grey, tan leather interiors. I mean, this is midlife crisis. You know, if you if you look up midlife crisis, you see a picture of me in my sports car. Um, and then after a few years, I went, yeah, yeah, that's cool. I'm done with that. And I bought a push bike, which I have to say, I, I love just as much. Um, and clearly it was a fraction of the price. Uh, and now I've got Kibrula. My, my, she's, I think she's about 23, which is 140 in car years. Um, she's a, a Nissan March, a Japanese import. So uh, Jap- Japan makes you sort of buy a new car every three years. Um, or else the tax just becomes outrageous because of emissions. They were a long way ahead of everyone. Uh, so Cyprus being Cyprus buys all those cars. Um, and they come over and they do a conversion, which when you think about it, it's a bit scary because what they do is they move the steering wheel to the other side. Oh, really? They don't need... Yeah, yeah. So lots of cars that you see in Cyprus have actually got a steering wheel on the wrong side. It's been moved. So if you looked at my car, you go, okay, that's right-hand drive. It's not, it's left-hand drive, but they have moved the steering wheel. Hmm. I'm not even going to ask how they did it, but they do it. Um, And, you know, she's got central locking. It doesn't work, but it's there. Um, I've got a little button that allows me to press a button and I go to electric four-wheel drive. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And what that is, is it's like a dynamo engine, which suddenly starts putting some sort of power to the, uh, to the rear wheels and you just click it on. I've, I've never really put it on because it makes a really weird buzzing noise. And I'm just, yeah, I'm not sure. But she's wonderful. I love Kiprula. I've got, uh, I have all my beads hanging down. So I have my Cypriot worry beads, Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. Um, I have some uh, Roman Catholic rosary beads hanging down. So, I, you know, I look like a proper Cypriot. It's all hanging down from my, from my mirror there. Um, and I open the window, I put my elbow out, I beep my horn, and I shout at people as I go past, which is one of the best things you can do in Cyprus because everybody assumes that they know you. So you just go, yes, 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 and you can see them thinking, who's he? Is that my cousin Costas? Is it Costas's friend that we met? Of course, you're gone by then. But anyway, there's what I've learned is that the things that I put value in, I have my own way of assigning value. And I, like everyone else, I'm prone to falling for all the marketing stuff. Um, but as I've got a little bit older and wiser and painful experience, I guess, um, yeah, I've got no interest in buying an iPhone every year. 
anymore. I used to. Mm. The same with laptops or desktops. Uh, for years, I tried to buy a golf swing. <laughs> so I'll go buy some new bats. That'll fix it. Mm, not as such. Um, doesn't mean I didn't try it several times. Go buy some new golf bats. That'll fix it. Doesn't fix it. Um, with the, this wonderful pen that we were looking at earlier. Would I like it? Yes. Would I like it in five years? Would I use it every day? No, because I've got lots of great pens already. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel that if you take that time to pause, then you do have the ability to look at whether what you're feeling is what the manufacturer or the vendor is trying to make you feel or it's what you actually feel. I know that, that Mrs. L will want another shiny car. I absolutely can tell you that now. She wants another shiny car. And me being me, I will buy her one. <laughs> but I will never buy myself uh, a shiny car. Um, the, the power and the beauty in my car is that I can park it absolutely anywhere, which is, you know, that's a true Cypriot thing as well. Um, you, you know, you, you drive up to a parking lot outside a supermarket. It doesn't bother a Cypriot because we're going to drive into the supermarket. We're not going to be in the parking lot. It's fine. Um, and I never lock the doors. Nobody's going to steal it. Um, if if it gets hit by a shopping trolley or a person or another car, I don't care. I, it's the perfect car for its environment. And that's what I will have. Um, if, if, you know, Capruna lets me down, I'll replace her with Capruna 2. Hmm. And I think that's what you learn. You learn your own Eisenhower matrix. You learn your own way of assessing uh, expenditure. Um, the thing that may, makes me laugh about uh, some people, like um, Margaret will think nothing of spending, um, with, with Spice, 650 euros for an MRI. Okay, the, uh, when the price came through to me, I sent Margaret a text message because she was at work saying it's going to be uh, 650 euros and it's going to be half past 10 Wednesday night. And she replied, oh, don't they have anything earlier? <laughs> the money thing didn't even occur to her. You know, it's spice. And, you know, she's right. It, it's your dog. Anybody who's got a dog knows this. It's your dog. Um, I mean, all of my friends went, can you not get a new dog for 650 euros? <laughs> oh, yes. That, oh. But that's that's not the correct point. However, when um friends of ours are very big in tattoos and they they um they love getting tattoos. And I'm I'm quite fond of them and I'm got plans to get some. I found a good artist, you know, through them. Uh it does work that I like and looking at, you know, this or that. And Margaret said, well, I want this. And she's done a lot of research and I want this. Well, great, get it. Yeah, but it's quite expensive. And I mean, I think it was something like 80 euros. Like, mm. How is that expensive? Something that's going to be on your skin for the rest of your life versus, oh, I don't know, a new pair of trainers or um, yeah, Spice's MRI even. And it's that whole thing of, developing or not having developed your own filter for what what is good expenditure a hint for everyone if you're going to get a tattoo it is going to be there forever or take a really expensive and painful procedure to get rid of 
So feel free to, to, you know, shop around and spend a bit more rather than get it in the first tattooist you see. Just, you know, just a handy hint going forwards. So don't do like Justin does and uh, go out for a night of drinking and come home the next morning wondering, why does my arm hurt? Oh, I got a tattoo from some guy that I'd never met before. That's how both of mine happened. <laughs> and the tattooist I'm talking to now looked at, looked at me and went, um, right. Because I said, well, I'm thinking, you know, I think something new here. And he does very, um, he does very artistic tattooing. So, you know, it's, it's real art that just happens to be on your body. Whereas mine is very much 1990s emblematic tattoos. I have the Guinness Toucan, um, which is, a, is actually a marketing icon. Um, this one was for the World Cup in uh, Italia 90. There you go. Where Ireland uh, qualified and were playing. A um, couple of things that you should probably know is that I'm only partially Irish through, through my dad's family. Uh, and I can't stand football. Um, nevertheless, I have a toucan with a football under its, uh, foot and a couple of pints of Guinness on its bill. That's on one shoulder. And on the other shoulder, I have a clan mark for the clan McLennan. Um, and they're both, you know, emblems. They're quite faded now. Um, and I, <laughs> this tattooist, I think his preference is just to sort of completely avoid going anywhere near them. Mm. Um, he's pre prepared to tattoo anywhere else. So I'm going to persuade him that he needs to find a way of linking the, the top of my arm to the bottom of my arm artistically. Uh, it should be quite good fun. Anyway, that's a tangent, if ever we've heard of it. It is. It is. Uh, so where that, that goes on the quality side. The, um, it's important and it's worth spending the money for. Sure. Hmm. Got to figure out this uh, Eisenhower matrix thing. All right, Stu, any takeaways for this besides spend money on a good tattooist? <laughs> um, again, you know, the usual thing, I, I always feel very apologetic when we do a sort of episodes like this. Um, we speak from extreme privilege in that, um, you know, we're both very lucky to live where we live, with whom we live, um, and have the lives that we have. And so, you know, for me to talk about the lack of money is, you know, in comparison to what some people uh, are, you know, experiencing every day is it's just silly. But um, we're talking to those people who are in that sort of situation that we're in. Uh, and it is, you know, money is an enormous source of stress in, in the modern world. Um, or the lack of money is an enormous source of stress. And I think it is... Um, it's worth being mindful and it's worth developing your own filter, working out what's important to you to spend money on. And most importantly, work out what it is that you think is important, but it isn't. So Coke Zero, sparkling water, that would be, be my discovery of late. What about you? What's your takeaway? Uh, my takeaway is do not ask me for advice on how to spend money. I am crap at it. I, I'm good at spending, uh, <laughs> but I'm not very good on the advice of how to spend it because, uh, I, again, as Stu said, I'm very privileged. Um, you know, I've just come off a, uh, uh, well, a, a cancer diagnosis treatment for my wife. 
it does sort of like Stu thinking about his dad. It does sort of change how you view life. So I, I'm in a unique position. Everybody is in a unique position to them, according to all their stuff. Uh, make some good choices for you, but don't listen to me at all. Listen to Stu. He's got houses. Houses. All right, Stu, where can people find you on the interwebs this week? Uh, well, you can find me at stuartlennon.com. Uh, I did manage to get a post out on Tuesday. Um, I haven't managed to get a post out today because I've been feeling a bit crook. Uh, but hopefully I will be back in the game next week. Uh, so that's stuartlennon.com. Um, or you can find me uh, at neurosnotes.co.uk where you'll find some lots of lovely stationery. Um, uh, and if you want to send me an email, then I, I, I love receiving them and I love responding to them. So you can get me at hello at stuartlennon.com or you can get Justin and I at stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. Where can people find you on the internet, Justin? Uh, you can find me at justintwyford.com, which I was actually thinking about the other day. Really, really need some updating. I haven't uh, changed a lot of stuff on there in a while. Uh, add it to the task list. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube and my wife, actually, and Coco, of course, uh, at Beyond Your Front Door. Uh, our next topic is going to be on margin, which I only just put in the show notes, so Stu didn't know that until I told him. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us. <laughs>